Confluence Radio is a production of Confluence, a community-supported nonprofit that connects people to the history, living cultures, and ecology of the Columbia River system. Find us at confluenceproject.org. And so it's important to be mindful of that and understanding that it's okay to be uncomfortable and it's okay to make mistakes and maybe mess up on the first lesson um, because it's there for you to learn from and share and become more comfortable with as time goes on and you become more connected to the curriculum itself through learning about plants on your own time. Hello, and welcome to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. On today's program, we're going to take a look inward, specifically at Confluence's education programming in schools. Back in 2007, what we now call Confluence in the Classroom and Outdoors began with a simple idea. Warm Springs artist Lillian Pitt wanted to work on art projects with students as a way of introducing them to Columbia River indigenous cultures. Over the years, the program has expanded to include field trips and artists of all kinds, including muralists, storytellers, poets, weavers, and others from many Northwest tribes. Today, we're going to talk with three of those educators about what they do with students and why. Emma Johnson is a Cowlitz tribal member and recently earned her Master's of Science in Cultural Anthropology from Portland State University. Her interests include tribal food sovereignty and traditional ecological and cultural knowledge. We'll also hear from Christine and Clifton Bruno, who have been sharing indigenous cultures from the Pacific Northwest in schools for more than 25 years. Clifton is a member of the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs, and Christine is Comanche, Basque, and Irish. The two of them work with schools, parks, land restoration projects, and nonprofit organizations like Confluence and the Native Gathering Garden at Cully Park in Portland. Our interviews for today's program are Confluence Education Manager Heather Gurko and Lily Hart, our Editorial and Content Manager. You'll hear their voices occasionally. My name is Heather Gurko. My Fingette name is Shahak A. Uh, I am a enrolled tribal citizen of the Central Council of Tlingit Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska. My mother was Tlingit and my father was Dutch. I'm the education program manager here at Confluence. The Confluence education program works to plant seeds of knowledge for both students and educators as they experience learning through a broader and more inclusive approach to history and contemporary indigenous existence. Confluence in the Classroom and Confluence Outdoors connects students and educators with Native educators and artists who work through Indigenous knowledge systems to provide opportunities to learn and grow connections to Native people, places, and systems through Native voices. And now, Emma Johnson and Christine and Clifton Bruno introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Clifton Bruno. I'm Wasco from up to Columbia River. And they relocated my tribe to the Confederated Tribes of Warm Springs. And this is... Hi, my name is Christine Bruno. And uh, my heritage is Basque, Comanche, and Irish. But I married this fish Indian guy a long time ago. And so now I'm a Comanche that bakes salmon. 
I am the first person in my family to be born in what we call Oregon. I mean, my ancestors have been here since time immemorial. Um, invited, asked to work with Confluence, and we ended up working out at uh, Fair, Fairview Elementary back when Maya Lynn was first designing and starting construction of the sites. Uh, there was an opportunity for schools to get a grant to do educational programming and in conjunction with the sites. Each site had a school that was picked and Fairview Elementary was selected to be the school for the Sandy River Delta site. And the uh, teacher that was heading that up needed to have an, you know, some indigenous educators to participate. And she already knew of us because we had been volunteering with our Indian education program at Reynolds School District there locally. So she'd heard of us. And so she asked if we would help out and we did. And so that was our first experience doing something with Confluence. And what was really nice about that is instead of just going into a classroom, you know, one time for an hour, which we would get asked to do that sometimes, uh, we got to be with the same, we did work with the whole, all the fourth graders from the school. And we got to do things with those fourth graders throughout the year, multiple times. So we got to kind of know the kids and share a lot of different types of culture and knowledge with them and really uh, build up on, you know, one thing would build on the next thing and the next thing. And then we also went on uh, field trips with them. My name is Emma Johnson. I'm a college tribal member, and I currently work at Portland State University in our Indigenous Nation Studies Department. I can't remember exactly when I first got connected to Confluence, but when I was on staff for my tribe and our culture department, I began helping um, coordinate some interviews with our spiritual leader, Tana Ingdahl. And so I came on site to support her. And that was when I first met Colin, I believe. Um, and that was. I don't know, five years ago now, I think. Um, and then I just stayed in contact and was on the email list and was following what everyone was doing. And to my surprise, was asked to be on the community advisory board in fall of 2022, I think. No, 21. Yeah, 21. Um, and so that was super exciting. And I have loved getting to be a part of that group. Um, and that has also helped me become a better educator, I would say. And so, yeah, interesting connections connected while I was working with my tribe and then was able to maintain that connection when I started graduate school at Portland State University, where I did my master's of science in cultural anthropology with a focus on tribal food sovereignty. Um, and so within that, I do a lot of teachings about place-based education, focusing on plant relatives and understanding like what it looks like to be connected to the places where we live and understand who has steward stewarded them um, and just open up conversations for folks' curiosity. Um, yeah, and so that's what I bring to Confluence in the classroom. And I've been able to teach 
students about camas, which is my favorite plant relative, um, and a super important traditional food for my people and many people in this region. And yeah, I would say I basically just work to make people feel comfortable with having a relationship with the plant and understanding that they are a very important being in our existence. Um, and then encourage them to get to know them on their own time um, and understand like what it means to be an honorable harvester and how you can actually tend and care for plants in the landscape and not harm them like many of our practices do. Well, with Confluence, we do things in school classrooms and we also do things out on field trips at various sites. And sometimes the classroom work is a precursor to a topic that they'll be learning out in the field. Teaching them about my ancestry, what my culture was, or when, like when it's outside, we would be uh, showing them native games and how they're actually connected to modern day, day games, sports that a lot of people play both professionally and entertainment. We have a variety of topics that we cover. Uh, we've many years worked with various Indian education programs and, and camp, youth camps and to and have just developed a pretty large list of uh, topics we can cover. Uh, some of the most popular ones is uh, getting into the information about salmon on the Columbia River and fishing and the life ways that, that around salmon on the Columbia River. And the importance of salmon and how salmon actually positively impacts the environment. We have a banner. We always try to include some hands-on items when we talk so it's not just us talking. And one of the things we bring when we talk about salmon is a banner that's uh, six foot long uh, made of fabric and it has a silhouette of what um, became known by the Europeans that came as the June hogs, the very giant salmon that once came up the Columbia River in June. And when you, you know, we talk about it and then you pull out that banner and unroll it. And the eyes of the kids and adults get so big and they're so surprised. We often will lay the banner on the ground and kids will lay down beside it, showing how the, the salmon were bigger than they are. And that's, that's a real popular thing. Another one that's um, really popular is just food, first foods in general, where we don't just cover salmon, but we also include um, plants and often try to include a plant walk or dried plants that we have uh, to show them the different roots and berries and uh, leafy greens that were all eaten here throughout uh, this area in the Northwest and how nutritious it was and how plentiful it was. Next, we're going to hear more from Heather Gurko, Confluence's education manager, about the work she does with teachers. One new program we've just been developing 
is Camp Confluence. It's a week-long series of field trips to Confluence sites and other culturally significant places. Not only did the students learn, but teachers did too, through professional development opportunities during the camp. Here's more from Heather Gurko. So we work to lift up tribal voices through their tribal education programming and recognizing that their voices are at the center of everything we do. As well as we lift up ODE in Oregon and OSPI in Washington State and the curriculum they've created alongside the tribes, we recognize that we aren't providers of those curriculum, but what we are providing is continued opportunity for growth relationship for educators so they feel more comfortable in lifting up lessons that they haven't learned themselves in their education. Many times educators come to us and share that they're scared to teach these lessons because they learned a different version of history. So part of our professional development and part of our learning community is just providing space for those educators to feel more comfortable, to learn from each other, from their peers, and the successes that they're having and the challenges that that they're facing. And we continue to bring in Native educators and artists throughout the learning community and professional development to help them see how they can shift what they're doing in classrooms. One example of that is this past summer of 2023 at Camp Confluence, we had a professional development cohort that came alongside the campers. And we had about uh, five educators from Washington State, I believe one was from Oregon, who were campers. And one of the reflections they shared, and they were a bit shocked when they had this revelation, was the emphasis that Native educators have on student voice. Student voice for them is important, but within their daily life and their schools and their time schedules and the standards they have to meet and the objectives of their lessons, they recognize that student voice gets lost a lot of times. And so all of them that came to the the camp, professional development, shared that they want to find ways to incorporate and lift up student voice in classroom and that they witnessed Native educators doing that in each of the lessons that they provided. This shows an example of how, um, so this gives a great example of how teachers can learn alongside Native educators and change how they interact with their students and lift up Indigenous voices in their classrooms. You're listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. On today's program, we're exploring Confluence's education programming in schools with Indigenous educators Emma Johnson and Christine and Clifton Bruno. Here's Emma Johnson. I like to be super organized, so I'm a person that values a plan. Um, And then I've also learned how much more you can gain when you just let things happen organically in different settings. And there's so much beauty into like accepting that. Um, And so we started out that week at Camp Confluence with me getting to help lead a plant ID walk across the land bridge. And um, I was a little nervous because I hadn't walked over the land bridge in a few years because I had done it like once but I wasn't paying attention to who was around me and so I was just like going in blind and I was like well we're gonna see what plant friends are hanging around and what the kids are thinking and we'll share what there is to share um 
And my approach with that, like you mentioned, Heather, of doing my best to be as inclusive as I can for folks that might not have any plant knowledge is that I always try to make it more of like a community space. Like I don't love the hierarchy of being the person that teaches at people. And sometimes that's what it has to be. And I try to still make that less painful. Um, And other times you can make it so much more conversational. And so um, I had two different groups that day. And in one of the groups, there was a youth that was super knowledgeable about plants. And I'm like, this is so cool. Um, And so they would constantly, when I would ask, like, what do we know about alder? What do we know about the cattail that's here? and I think there were some Oregon grape and um, they would always just like say, I know this and I know that and you can use it for this. And I'm like, wow, that is so exciting. Um, and so I think it's really cool to offer the opportunity to whoever you're working with to share what they know first before I even will share a lot of things. And I oftentimes will learn too. And I love that. Um, and then I think it's also really cool if you're going to introduce plant relatives to give the people an opportunity to actually work with one of them. And so we talked about cattail that day. Um, And then I think it was two days later when we were at Ridgefield and we had talked about the possibility of me potentially leading another activity. And I was like, what am I going to (laughs) do? Like who is available to be interacted with? Um, And I remembered that Ridgefield had some really happy cattail areas. Um, and we found them. And so before I introduced the activity to the youth that day, I asked them what they thought I did before I harvested, because we talked about what it meant to be an honorable harvester. And they said different things of like, you shared a song or you thanked them, or maybe you dropped some tobacco. And I had explained that it was more spontaneous. So I didn't have like gifts to share, but I spoke to them in different ways and thanked them. Um, and then I asked them what they remembered about cattail and like who cattail was and how they care for us and like what they do in the wetlands. Um, and so that was just like fun to see what they remembered and like spark different types of conversation with like cattail as technology. Um, and then we woke and the support for the weaving was incredible from the other educators because it took me a second to have my hands recall how to do it. And that's perfectly normal. Um, And so I was able to like get it to come back to me. And then I had many educator friends that helped the youth do it. And that was also really cool to see. Um, And so I think that them learning about cattail on the plant walk and then having cattail introduced again with an activity will make them remember cattail probably over any other plant friend that we talked about that day, just because they actually got to work with the plant friends. Um, and it's not always easy to have access to plant friends, depending upon the season, depending upon if it's safe to harvest, if you're allowed to harvest. Um, there's many things that folks have to ask themselves before they engage with plants in that way. And I think that they should really know who the plant is before they do that as well. But you can substitute other things for things like weaving. Um, and that's totally appropriate. And so I think that it's always good to encourage, like, making the activity happen, even if it's not with the material that you truly want to have, because it can still be worthwhile with teaching them about like plant technologies. Now we'll hear more from Christine Bruno. 
I think one of the cool memories from Camp Confluence was when we were able to first go to the Sandy River Delta site first and teach them about the Oregon white oak. And even though the trees are not very big, they are really, really old. And, and compared to, especially comparing them to the cottonwoods that are growing right beside them. And the importance of all of those indigenous trees. And then for another field trip in the same week, going up to Ridgefield National Wildlife Reserve and taking the walk down that trail out to, we refer to it as the grandmother oak, the ancient oak that's 400 years old and huge. And seeing the kids just really get into all the plants as we're walking through, mm -hmm. asking questions. Mm -hmm. I think we would have had a really hard time getting those kids to leave Grandmother Oak if it wasn't for the mosquitoes. That helped chase them away. But yeah, they had to, you know, go down and touch the tree. And they're always very excited to get their a group picture taken. Of yeah, they ask, I'll ask, can we go touch it? I mean, each one of the groups. Mm -hmm. It's very exciting for them. But I mean, it's a good trip separately for each of those. But when you compare it where you go to Sandy River Delta first, then Ridgefield, so they engage with the younger trees, which are older than their grandparents, some of them. And then you engage them with this ancient tree that's so huge. It's just really makes an impression. Are there any thoughts about where educators um, also benefit from seeing native educators working with students differently than maybe their regular classroom or school district allows them to work with students. Just comments we had from the teachers that them, you know, to have a workshop where you sit down and tell teachers what what to do is different than watching it happen and watching how experiential learning and on-site learning experiences engage the kids in a whole different way. And when I would see kids, you know, we gave them journals, you know, for the camp. The camp provided journals for all the, the youth. And to see youth voluntarily on their own taking notes. No one told them to take notes. There's not going to be any tests or quizzes. They're not going to be handing in their journals for a grade. It was just something for them to have to use as they wish. And to see kids making sketches and taking notes and, and really engaging voluntarily, I thought was impressive. You know, I did, did not expect that to happen that way. To me, it just shows us that they're actually getting something out of it. I mean, this a few years ago, we had, uh, the, she's an adult, and she's like, you know, and we were, she waited on us at a store, and um, she's like, I know you probably don't remember me, but, and she starts talking all about the things we did with Fairview Elementary, and uh, <laughs> one kid, we also get thank you notes sometimes from the kids, not always, but a lot of them send us thank you notes, and I think those thank you notes we really see the impacts of different things because the kids draw pictures of them, of things that impact them. And now, Emma Johnson. 
And I think that the bottom line is that so many educators just don't have enough support and resources. And it's like developing and cultivating communities like that that make it possible to be able to teach and lead and feel comfortable doing so. And so I would just encourage folks to like build their teaching community. And I'm sure so many people already have that, but they're maybe don't know how to introduce. I want to start teaching about these things. And I know about these resources, like what do you all think and how might we be able to lean on each other to start doing this? Um, And there's a lot of free labor involved in all things education. And that's not always fair or right. And I fully acknowledge that and have um, experienced that. And so I think that while we need to make sure that that is always acknowledged, that we don't want to contribute to the erasure of Native peoples in this region. And by not teaching about things like this, you essentially are. And even though you might not want to be doing that, by not feeling comfortable and stepping out of your comfort zone to do so, you are. And so it's important to be mindful of that and understanding that it's okay to be uncomfortable and it's okay to make mistakes and maybe mess up on the first lesson um, because it's there for you to learn from and share and become more comfortable with as time goes on and you become more connected to the curriculum itself through learning about plants on your own time. I would say that some of my favorite moments are when I learned that the youth I'm working with know a lot about plants because I think that's just super exciting. And I didn't have that as a youth. Like I knew about certain plants and I was lucky enough to be outside a lot, but I didn't like know their medicinal properties and how to ID them throughout the seasons and things like that. And so I always think it's super inspiring to like hear a second grader be like, oh yeah, that's yarrow. And I know what yarrow is good for. Here's all the things. Um, I just think that's super exciting to like see future plant leaders in those spaces. This last spring on a field trip that we had to She Who Watches with a school uh, from out in the gorge, we were out at She Who Watches, which is a petroglyph that is so incredibly important to the people of the area, indigenous people of the area. And at the end of the field trip, after we had had some classroom engagement and some storytelling and some cultural learning, a third grader came up to me with tears in her eyes and looked at me and said, I hope I can carry these stories with me for the rest of my life. And in that moment, I knew that the work we're doing is planting seeds of knowledge for younger people to continue their path and, and take that responsibility. And again, really, it is a call to action and how they are going to continue to relate with Indigenous people as they step into their lives further. You've been listening to Confluence, Indigenous Voices of the Columbia River System. I'm Colin Fogarty, Executive Director of Confluence. On today's program, we heard from Confluence educators Emma Johnson and Christine and Clifton Bruno. Thanks to them for all the work they do. To find out more about our education programs and our five completed art sites along the Columbia River System, check out confluenceproject.org. Remember, we can only do this important work because of the Friends of Confluence, and that's you. Join us today at confluenceproject.org. Thanks for listening to Confluence. Confluence.